Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Caribbean Studies. I'm Alejandra Bronfman. My guest today is Chelsea Stiber. She's the author of Haiti's Paper War, Post-Independence Writing, Civil War, and the Making of the Republic, 1804 to 1954. This book is a really new take on Haiti's 19th century. It's centered on writing as literature, as weapon, as essential to the making of memory. It takes us through new interpretive terrain that includes a critique of the prevailing racialist interpretations of Haitian political divisions. And it's just a good read. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Chelsea, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Um, How did you get the idea that Haiti's paper war was going to turn into a book? Mm, um, I knew, well, I'd always hoped it would turn into a book. Um, And that was definitely my plan. Um, But uh, it was, of course, when I finished my dissertation um, and I had the good fortune of um, being able to uh, take a year to really do more digging um, on that research that I'd done for my dissertation uh, when I got a Kluge Fellowship at the Kluge Center at the Library of Congress. And that was just really fortunate um, for a number of reasons, but because I had a a sense that I'd really, in my dissertation, found the beginnings of this um, sort of new regionalism that uh, I I made the case for in the book, um, and also the importance of these foundational sort of civil war um, divisions. Um, and I'd gotten that sense in my dissertation, but I needed to go back to the original uh, uh, foundational divisions and really do the reading of those sources um, that I had seen so contested and sort of relitigated as part of the late 19th century um, moment that I'd focused on in my dissertation. So when I was able to do that and really go back and then do the full long 19th century, um, that was when I was sure that that was uh, what the book was going to be. So I'm really interested in your method. It's part literary analysis and part close account of Haitian internal political conflicts. And I would love to hear you talk more about how you came to that as a method. Mm. Um, I I suppose I'll take this opportunity also maybe to just situate myself more broadly as I'd say somewhat undisciplined, but in a very positive way, (laughs) undisciplined interdisciplinarian. Um, because it really, I think it really um, shaped, it shapes how I think about Haiti and how I use Haiti. And then obviously more broadly, this, this methodology that I elaborated. Um, but so yeah, just from, from my background, I did my PhD in a joint program in French and Francophone literature, thought uh, and culture. And then with that, this French studies, sort of sociology, history, politics program. And so really part of that was, uh, for me, a really um, necessary education or de-education in sort of the French universalist myth. Um, and, and I have to chuckle right now because it's so in the news in the moment right now in France, if, if I'm not sure if you follow it, but um, or really anyone who's, who <laughs> listens. But, um, but it's really important because um, currently French academics and frankly U.S. academics by association are under fire from the French government for bringing these, you know, these these theories of critical race studies and of sort of um, inequality into the the sort of sphere of French higher education and research, social science research. So, but but all of that to say, you know, this interdisciplinary um, um, PhD was so challenging because it brought so many um, different 
uh, uh, regions and different methodologies together. But for me, Haiti became so clearly um, an answer, but also the problem, the productive, the good problem. Um, there's a, a wonderful quote from the Haitian uh, intellectual Louis-Joseph Jean Vier from the late 19th century who says that Haiti is an argument that disturbs. Um, and it is. And so for me, coming to, even just to Haiti more broadly in this, in this interdisciplinary program was about finding a place that offered what Walter Mignolo calls the, the darker side of Western modernity. Um, it offered sort of this story um, that challenged this universalist grand narrative um, of France. Um, and, so, and so that's sort of my positionality and how and why I um, think through Haiti and with Haiti and how that fits. Um, but insofar as this book, um, it was really essential for me to, uh, and, and it becomes really the main argument of the first three chapters, to think um, and really challenge what we mean, we scholars mean when we talk about literature and what it is and, and, and what is literariness. Um, and for me, it was so essential because it was in construction in this early moment in the 19th century, the concept itself, um, which is not something that I had originally sort of been aware of as I was engaging in Caribbean and, and Haitian literary production. And so for me, um, by being able to sort of suspend that concept as sort of a, a, a truth or, or really even as a, def, a hardened and defined um, uh, concept, I was able to sort of go back and look at the way that writing itself was politically um, motivated or politically cast as either um, pure literary um, autonomous production on the part of authors or as engaged political um, production that was challenging uh, both um, internal divisions, civil war divisions within the, the country, but also sort of external um, narratives and images and ideas of Haiti as a kind of place and of a kind of people at the same time. So, yeah. So the, um, just to get into that a little bit more, the book opens and then in some ways it follows the long 19th century thread, the long, long 19th century thread um, <laughs> of two conceptions of um, liberty or liberté, right? So what are those? Oh, the two conceptions of, of liberté, um, right, that I lay out uh, in the introduction and then sort of trace through. Well, again, this is just um, getting back to this, this idea of um, a sort of a Republican um, colorblind, uh, liberal notion of, um, individual rights of individual property of, um, of a sort of, uh, progress based. And again, I'm putting these in air quotes, civilization that is defined by a dominant Western conception in the 19th century. And so there's that one notion of freedom, um, that I associate with the Southern Republic. Um, and that sees itself really as the, the place where, um, if not all of the sort of European um, uh, sort of revolutionary fervor of the, the age of revolution, but most certainly France's um, um, liberal revolution, the, the Southern Republic in Haiti believes that it is the place and casts itself as the place where that um, spirit, and there's you know, all sorts of literature around the spirit of liberty coming to Haiti, um, that's where it, 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 it it can continue to sort of thrive when its light has gone out in Europe. And so that's a one side. And then the other side uh, is a concept of liberty that is really not recognizable from that Western dominant discourse. 
Um, it's a, a liberty that requires a um, sort of a collective uh, family underneath a single ruler, Desalines, um, in the in the revolutionary period and the post-independence period, and that contests this Western idea of individual property and of um, sort of progress-based civilizational uh, uh, metrics to measure what um, what belonging to the family of nations would look like. So um, just to pick up on that and to continue, um, and you hinted this at this a little bit, um, the, the literary scenes and the different kinds of writing are very kind of clearly articulated in the book. And you make the point that not, it's not just about the content that makes that sort of distinguishes what happens in the North and in the South, but, uh, but actually how the, the, the texts get written so there's a kind of more collective writing that you that you argue goes on in the north, and then I mean to sort of put maybe unnuanced <laughs> um, descriptions of these, um, and a kind of more individualistic kind of writing that goes on in the south, and then and and that those are kind of weaponized at the same time. So what are examples of those that we can that we can hang on to? Mm, yeah, and actually, I I, I want to even um, because I make the point in the book, but I I, I think it's even uh, important to make a finer point here. Um, what I see, uh, you know, the, the, and it is a, in a division of the way that sort of writing is conceived and literature or literariness, but um, the South is absolutely also performing this um, in some ways collectively, politically, to achieve this um, goal of Republican uh, hegemony, Republican um, survival uh, in the Atlantic world, but also against the North. And so, um, it tends, I think it tends to get assimilated so easily, this Republican writing into, or naturalized even into, a a sort of longer history of like the history of Haitian literature or of even sort of, um, maybe Francophone writing more broadly, but it is a very deliberate, um, political and, and, um, uh, performed stance that they're taking. Um, but so yeah, to examples that we could hold on to, um, one would be uh, sort of the, the sung uh, poetry of um, commemoration or celebration of events that um, get published in the gazettes uh, of the northern state. Um, it's first the gazettes of the state and then of the, of the kingdom when the uh, north becomes a, um, uh, a kingdom under, under uh, Henri Christophe. Um, but we even see those uh, under Dessalines as well. And so there are these... Um, they're sung poems. They were uh, written, I mean, a lot of them are signed, although not all of them are signed, in order to be, um, right, to be commemorative and to um, sort of show in print a much wider experience um, that happened on the ground um, uh, during these commemorations. Whereas in the South, and especially um, as I show in the later um, sort of specialized periodicals in the late 18-teens, um, you have a lot of sort of more individual ideas of, of writing of, of singular autonomous poetry. Um, but even then, uh, again, I think, I think this conception of, of autonomous writing is also what they're doing in their literary criticism, which is itself sort of a concept that is emergent in this early period as well, of um, what it means to be a good writer. It means to be inspired by your own talents and your own heart. Um, instead of, and they make this very clear, the Southern writers, instead of, for example, um, being told to write a commemorative poem uh, by the monarch. And they see that as sort of a fundamental distinction between their project and the project of the North. 
So in some ways, the, um, the, the literature circles around the Dessalines and his assassination. I, I found that it, it haunts the book throughout, right? And it just keeps coming up, coming back again and again and getting reformulated, um, reinterpreted, recast. How did you, what was the decision to make that so central? Was it just kind of jumping out at you everywhere? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, that is a, um, you're, you're picking up on something. I found, I found that it, it not only um, was not apparent in the beginning and then it became this inevitable sort of through line um, that, that is so powerful for me uh, because it is, it's, it's this, um, right. It's not something I sought out to sort of show and yet it continues to come back again and again. Um, and I think it's part, part of really this foundational, um, I, I hesitate to call it a fracture because I don't want to make it a, a necessarily, um, you know, irreparable division um, or something that, you know, was coherent and then broken. Um, nevertheless, this, um, this really, I, I think, from the foundation of uh, uh, the independent state of Haiti um, with the Armée Indigène that Dessalines led during the revolution, um, there is within it, within, and I show this in the first chapter, within all of the, um, the writing that he is, uh, uh, having put out, right, these commemorative poems, but also, you know, his declarations and so on, um, there is the, the awareness of the, um, sort of radical newness of what he's doing as a state project, but also the quite, um, numerous and powerful, uh, a group of, pro-Republican um, army uh, 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 generals who do not agree with his state formation. And so his assassination um, is sort of part of this longer um, tension that is foundational to the nation. And so it seems so natural to me, you know, having, having gone back and really done this long, long, long um, 19th century work, that it would, it would continue um, to be uh, to, to, yeah, to haunt, to, to sort of surge forth, um, to be unable to really be confronted because it is so, I mean, I don't want to sort of psychoanalyze, but, um, it is so, um, repressed in so much of the early writing of the post civil war period, um, 1820 on. Well, what part of what, part of the reason for that, I guess, is what I, what I gathered from the book and what you, I thought you treated really, uh, carefully and beautifully and thoughtfully is the, the, the violence, right? I mean, the the fact of his assassination and the fact of the violence that was necessary to undertake that and the justification of that sort of under a kind of Republican, you know, cloak, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I was really um, really fascinated by that, and I guess I'm I'm just wondering how how that all falls out. Like, what do we do with that? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is absolutely um, necessary <laughs> to confront the violence, the violence both of the, of the revolution itself, the violence of um, colonialism and enslavement, the violence of um, the, uh, what is, you know, I'm not going to use the G word, what, um, what is so um, fraught and debated um, in terms of Dessalines' uh, uh, decision and, and feeling of necessity to um, kill the remaining French on the island for fear of 
re-enslavement or of an inevitable um, French attempt to retake the island, um, which did, of course, uh, happen numerous times in the early post-independence period that culminated with the um, uh, forced indemnity payment in 1825 under Boyer. But so... That violence is, is, is absolutely, you know, um, incontrovertible and, and sort of throughout the writing of the period. But the violence of Desalines' assassination is, especially in this early uh, Republican writing, um, absolutely both naturalized in the sense that it's um, sort of um, becomes this metaphor. I, I, and I think this is what you're referring to in your question. Um, this metaphor of sort of a natural disaster um, that they uh, that Republican writers sort of have to find a way to navigate um, both and and it's it's again I, it would be fun fun it would be interesting for me to do a little bit more of a psychoanalytical reading um, <laughs> of it I mean I I find that um, that that especially those early renderings um, are, are are fascinating to think through in that way but even just in in thinking about their strategic positioning, these Republicans um, in this post-Civil War period, what they're looking to do is to continue to project an idea of Haiti um, that is, again, in air quotes, civilized, which means that they can, you know, uh, continue to engage in trade and in diplomatic relations uh, with um, other great nations, again, in quotes, um, uh, of the Atlantic world. And so um, it's important for them not to sort of... Um, engage in, in uh, violent rhetoric. And Desalines, of course, um, is, and as I show in the book, um, violent rhetoric is a central part of his political and we could call it cultural um, idea um, for uh, creating an independent Haiti. And so um, they're, they're both, it's fraught and they're both confronting what it means to um, project this image for, for very strategic reasons, because that is the path that they have chosen and that is what they believe is the most um, uh, effective uh, way to create lasting independence um, and this the reality of that violence. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, um, it's really, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> it's really fascinating to, to watch you draw out those lines of argument. Um, and another thing that I found um, Interesting that that took me by surprise towards the end was um, the way that you get to the critique um, implicit initially and then not so implicit more towards the end as, is of the, the critique of the kind of racialist interpretations of Asian history, I guess, mostly in the hands of David Nichols, who you mm-hmm. who you mentioned and, and then and sort of argue against. So so. Can you talk us through that a little bit? What, what's wrong with the racialist interpretation and, and what do we replace it with? And I have to sort of preface that by saying um, that you that it doesn't it doesn't come up until the end of the I mean, you you write it in, but not explicitly until the very end of the book. And, and then I had to sort of go back and thought, oh, 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 wow. That she the Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, talk to us more about that. Yeah, that's um, and I I I'm happy to be able to also point to um, other people who are doing really exceptional work uh, there too. So, I mean, yeah, David Nichols, um, Marlena Doubt uh, has, um, and I, I refer to her in the book, really um, was for me a, a, a crucial person to think with because she has um, pointed this out at length and has a really good discussion of the problems with David Nichols' um, interpretations of uh, Haitian history, the way that he writes about Haitian history. So I would uh, encourage any listener to also um, 
look to her writing uh, for that especially. Um, but um, more recently as well, um, Jean Casimir, who uh, is a, a really probably um, the leading Haitian scholar, um, he's a, um, just written a book. Well, it was a, it's a translation um, that just came out actually with UNC of a book he wrote in 2018 called The Haitians, A Decolonial History. And he has, um, uh, I think, an even more um, rigorous and, and just... Um, sort of mind-blowing uh, uh, reading of, of the racialist interpretation of Haitian history as well. So I, I'm not dodging, but I want to point to those really um, fundamental uh, uh, works that are doing this um, sort of uh, deeply. Um, but but uh, yeah, for me, it, it is. Um, it was, a, and then maybe I could, when you're saying it came in at the end and then you kind of look back, that was a strategic decision that I made. Um, to uh, not refer to the actors that I was um, chronicling and looking at these civil war divisions according to uh, 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 racial um, assigning a, a, a race to them or to to put them in a uh, sort of a color category um, in order to let other differences um, sort of come forth or in order to in order to um, highlight the other differences that are essential to understanding these civil war divisions um, it is just simply not true, as Marlena Doubt uh, uh, argues, that um, you can uh, make sense or, or sort of um, assign political agency based on color uh, in Haitian history. Um, and so, so, yes, it was a strategic choice insofar as I wanted to um, show the different uh, sort of political realities um, of these divisions, of these divided concepts of the post-independence Haitian state. Um, in order to allow them to sort of um, breathe outside. And, and again, Nichols has been so dominant in sort of um, explaining uh, the, the noirist, and that's an anachronism, um, frankly, of interpretation of the past versus a murat, in quotes, um, interpretation of the past. It is indeed infinitely more complicated than that. Um, so what do you replace it with? I mean, I would hope that... Um, my book has at least offered um, a, a much more uh, capacious and, and pluralistic um, understanding of regional difference, um, of sort of those filiations that, that are um, much more based in the lived experience of these very different, um, very uh, uh, separate regional realities. Um, but there are any number of other um, divisions as well. And it's not as if um, I'm arguing to replace one with another. And it's also not as if I'm arguing that there isn't the lived experience of um, colorism and racial difference within Haiti, but that my hope was to um, allow, to, to, to take off the filter that David Nichols and others, but um, I, would, I would place it more on him, have sort of put on to uh, uh, looking at the past in order to think more more capaciously. And, and again, I think um, uh, Jean Casimir uh, has a way of putting that, um, that same sentiment, frankly, into words that I, would, that I would encourage others to read. So just to complicate that a little bit more, um, so you write that uh, about Boyer and the way that Haiti's kind of finally unified, more or less, under him. And that's where the literary connections kind of turn to the peasantry and to an African heritage, as in the work of somebody like Ignace Now. I know I'm butchering these names, so I'm sorry. Um, so, so why, why then? Why, why did the, the sort of connections to an African heritage come up then? And what are the legacies of that? 
Uh, and I, um, I, the, this is the Af- connection to an African legacy within the Southern Republican tradition, frankly. Um, there are absolutely uh, um, great examples of um, Northern writers uh, highlighting Haiti's African connections. And, and this is from the, you know, the foundational writing of, of Dessalinian independence through Henri Christophe's kingdom. So, so what Boyer is doing is yoking sort of um, a Republican um, idea of the Haitian state, then these writers who are coming in under this Republican tradition to reactivate or, or sort of um, bring um, Haiti's, the realities of an, an African uh, diasporic past to within this Republican tradition. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is um, a contestation. And it's, it's, you know, with these writers that I, I look at in the late uh, 1830s, and I kind of call them a, a loosely organized group, you have some people who are quite uh, affiliated with Boyer's um, presidency, but then you have others who are, are troublemakers and who are really trying to contest um, his, his power, so to speak. And so I see, and this is um, the, the, the poem that you're referring to, um, that again, Desalines comes back <clears throat> in such a in such a powerful way, um, of thinking about a more capacious idea of what Haitianness, what it means to be Haitian um, under uh, uh, this Republican um, government, and also as part of a uh, island-wide um, definition of what it means to be Haitian, right? Because this is during the period where um, Boyer had unified, in quotes, or invaded um, the East to create this singular um, Republic of Island Haiti. And so you have these writers who are challenging. They're challenging um, sort of an idea of what it means to be Haitian. They're trying to expand it to include um, an Amerindian, uh, a Taino legacy, um, also uh, a African diasporic um, uh, legacy of enslavement and, and sort of rupture from the African homeland to the Caribbean. And then also um, the connections that that might make to the East. Uh, they don't make too many connections with um, uh, Spain, for example, and sort of that legacy, but they do make connections with the Amerindian sort of shared past from the East and the West. Um, and so for me, that, you know, that's a, an attempt to challenge Boyer, who is so, um, you know, certain that um, sort of unity, Haitian unity, um, is the way to sort of, um, with a tight fist, kind of keep um, the nation together and to, to have... Um, a uh, ability to survive sort of in the increasingly um, hostile uh, Atlantic world to Haiti. Um, but, but they're challenging it by, by demanding um, or offering uh, different ways of thinking about Haitianness that are much, much wider and much broader than had been in Republican writing to that point. So towards the end, there's a really fascinating discussion of Suluk. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Mm -hmm. that right. And the role of art and visual culture. And you're really rewriting the historiography on Saluk, which I, I completely admit I fell victim to, you know, I've come across him in, in accounts of Haitian history and thought, Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some Mm -hmm. crazy dictate, right? Like some crazy, Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's really, really fascinating what you, what you do with them. Um, and so w- talk about the relationship of art and, and visual culture to, to that moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, it was one of my, you know, I'll be honest, it was one of the harder chapters for me to write because it is different, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing something different, um, but it ended up being my favorite one. I don't know if that's most people's experiences or what, but, you know, it was sort of like the tough one that I was always sort of trying to work through. And then it ended up just 
finally, kind of at the end, when I was really um, finishing the manuscript, turning into this, what I, what I really um, uh, think is one of my favorite chapters, although I, I like them all, <laughs> I didn't ever really pick, but yeah. But so, yeah, and um, I want to give a shout out to a couple people who are working on Suluk right now that I think will really even um, uh, do more, um, which I'm super excited about. Gaëtan Montor, who is a uh, Haitian scholar, is working on a, a biography. And there is a Yale uh, just uh, passed his uh, PhD. He, um, uh, uh, who is um, going to be doing a really uh, amazing, uh, who, who did an amazing book on Saluk and who's going to continue to do really um, interesting uh, interesting stuff with that. So I want to, oh, I'm just going to get his name. I don't want to get his name wrong because that would be um, Emmanuel Lachaud. Um, and he's coming out of Yale and he just did a, a great work on Saluk. So there's more stuff coming and that is very exciting because I think there's more that needs to come. But so for me, what was really important was to think about, and this this gets um, back into the the sort of divisions I'm seeing with literature, literariness, uh, critique, and civilization um, in air quotes as these concepts that are sort of the dominant um, Western uh, uh, concepts that are contested um, in the Desalinian tradition and under Saluk. And so, um, on the one hand, you know, visual culture is central to um, a a monarchy, um, his his um, empire, you know, presidency turned empire was absolutely um, based in the pomp and the um, the sort of performance of power. Um, and again, I, I I hope it's it, it's challenging not to um, yeah not to appear as a monarchist, I suppose. But I I think it's very I, I hope I've made clear it's clear to me um, that these are these are challenges, these are critiques of um, a sort of, again, a Western conceptualization of republicanism and of liberty um, that is exclusionary of uh, 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 Black um, men and women diasporic um, in the Caribbean. Uh, and so um, visual culture becomes a way to sort of perform monarchy, but also to sort of be more inclusive um, of a uh, of a peasant-based or a uh, non-sort of educated elite-based um, you know, majority of the country. Um, but so that's like the one side of it, right? That I see sort of his emphasis, not so much on writing. And of course, I, it's a, not, they, there was a newspaper published under Saluk the whole time um, that he was uh, president and emperor. There is writing that happens, but it's just not the emphasis, right? His emphasis is not what the emphasis of, say, Boyer was. Boyer was so um, singularly focused on performing and disseminating and, and making vis visible and visual to the outside world this idea of Haiti as a, as a certain way. Um, and for Saluk, um, he's much more interested in um, uh, challenging, essentially, that uh, dominant sort of idea to which uh, Boyer was aspiring and critiquing it. Um, and so the visual culture that I've sort of, I mean, I, I, I of course, allude to the reality of, of um, sort of lived uh, 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 the lived experience under uh, Saluk, or at least the use of visual culture there. But then obviously he's playing, this critique comes in at the way that he chooses to represent himself in this Western uh, world. And it's, of course, in exact um, dialogue with and refutation of these just outrageous um, caricatures that are circulating and that had circulated, frankly, um, since Desalines, you know, um, uh, these representations of, um, you know, despots uh, um, in the West and how, you know, they were um, so uncivilized and how it was such a travesty. And of course, these uh, caricatures were also being used to, within um, France, to critique Napoleon. 
So there's, there's all these different agendas at work. And so Saluk um, plays with that. And he also um, um, sort of uh, has his response. And it's a very, um, I think it's a brilliant one, which is to use sort of this uh, sophisticated um, practice um, of photography and lithograph to present himself um, uh, to the outside world as such. So the last two chapters take us to the 20th century. And uh, why was that important to you? Why was it important to extend it on into these periods that are so often sort of closed off from the 19th century? The long, long 19th century. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, for a number of reasons. But um, I think the main one is that I think a, a lot of um, sort of writing and thinking about Haiti starts in 1915. Um, with the U.S. occupation of Haiti and sort of the early, and I'm putting that in quotes, um, writers of sort of the, the Revue Indigène, Jacques Roumain, um, and a lot of the sort of more, I would argue, well-known um, Haitian writers from that period. But, and, and also, so that's, you know, sort of, I, wanna, I wanted to extend it back, but really show it as part of a continuation of this longer history. But also, um, I hope I've made clear, um, some really new debates and new conceptualizations of sort of a more Porter Prince centric understanding of, of the organization of Haitian space and of the state. But um, an, another much simpler answer is that that's actually where I started. Mm-hmm. I started at the end of the 19th century when I was doing my dissertation work. Um, and so, uh, it, and, and I understood it so intimately um, that it was so, it was such a good place to be able to come back to um, I, you know, had to, to sort of fight the urge to um, make everything fit into what I saw in the 19th century. Um, and I think I, I succeeded in that um, there's, there's a lot of um, ambiguity and there are these, these continuations of trends that we see, but they're sort of manifested in different ways, um, in different regions, but also um, in different writers. Uh, but yeah, what, what, it, what it really, um, it was necessary for me to draw that connection because there is a continuity as well. Um, and what had brought me into this whole idea of going back um, to these original foundational uh, uh, tensions and, and the Civil War um, was that I had seen um, uh, in, in, you know, literary magazines and newspapers from non-Port-au-Prince-centric sources um, that no one had read or very, very few people had read these completely different understandings of what Haiti was, what it looked like, what their lived experience was. Um, and of course, I'm talking about, you know, elite intellectuals, um, but ones that, you know, were engaging with the, the outside, um, the, the, the peasantry outside of their, you know, second city or their non, you know, non-capital um, port city um, in ways that, that, that were very different. In fact, I also realized that a lot of the ideas about Haiti in the in the 20th century, you know, the writing that we see coming from these indigenistes, et cetera, um, was not very representative of much at all in some ways. I mean, I, I'm thinking about, again, La Revue Indigène, which I think a lot of uh, Caribbean studies folks know as a really important publication. And for me, sort of realizing that it was designed and written in a lot of ways for mostly an outside audience. Um, it, you know, it was a very uh, young, elite intellectual production. And so... Yeah, so so really kind of re rerooting or re um, setting the stage for the you know late nineteenth early twentieth century with the understanding of this fraught, um, extremely diverse um, plural sort of reality of the nineteenth century um, that to me would allow a much more capacious and and really 
um, nuanced, messy <laughs> understanding of the early 20th century that I think has been not essentialized, but really sort of reduced to a few intellectual actors. Yeah. And yeah, um, you do, you suggest towards the end in a very subtle way that what you're doing is creating a kind of alternative path through which to understand Duvalier, Duvalierism. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to say that? <laughs> um, so, so how, how do we, what, what is that path and how do we understand that? Ooh, yeah, it's an essential question today um, as um, the political situation in Haiti uh, is also um, uh, certainly um, fraught, uh, undemocratic, and and frankly, um, uh, resurrecting or at least um, rhyming with um, some of the the Duvalierist um, tendencies. Uh, so. It's a it's a it's a real it's it's a real question and it's one that has um, consequences I think today. Um, well, so you know, devaluism is and 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 remains uh, such a, a violent and um, uh, challenging. I mean, I I, I I hesitate to put words to it because um, well, first of all, it's not in the book, but also because it is such a such a violent and um, terrible part of Haiti's history, but to attribute sort of Duvalierism simply to Haiti's, uh, you know, revolutionary past and the fact that um, Dessalines, you know, became emperor and that Souluk was a, I guess I'll use your words from before, evil dictator, mm-hmm. um, or no, I'm not sure that's exactly what you said, but was a dic- another dictator, right? Um, is to, is to miss these, the, is to, attribute sort of a, um, well, a teleological reading, frankly, but also um, a, a sort of um, complicity of, say, Dessalines or Souluk or, or um, Salnav or any of the other leaders who um, did not uh, perform this um, sort of uh, one version of liberty as sort of individual property and, and individual liberty, um, as, as being the cause of devaluerism and not, say, for example, um, the U.S. and its extreme um, anti-communist uh, uh, politics and its sort of uh, role in um, shaping the Caribbean during that period or in its intervention during the U.S. military occupation. And that's just like one example of one other, you know, important and um, necessary sort of external actor to think about. Um, but additionally... I mean, and, and this is the, I hope the subtle argument that comes through in the end is exactly that um, what Dessalines, uh, Dessalinian thought um, offers is a critique of, um, uh, of an idea or, or of sort of a, uh, a notion of Western uh, modernity as liberating, as civilizing. But it's not um, a refusal. It's not a, um, it's not fascism. Um, it's not, uh, it, it is, again, it's a critique. It's a holding up of a mirror. It, it is, I mean, it, undeniably, um, there are, are uh, physical violences and state violences um, that occur, but they occur under every um, president, uh, uh, putatively Republican or not. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, this sort of easy explanation for Duvaliorism by looking at quote unquote dictators of the past is a way to sort of foreclose other um, reflections on what um, what powers, what inequalities, what forces, internal and external, uh, uh, sort of cohered or came together to allow for the rise of Duvalierism as a 
so, so I'm not as, as a phenomenon and as a, as a dictatorship and as a, a state sort of run violence. And I don't, um, I don't, I don't offer, I certainly don't offer an answer. And there are, are plenty of people who are doing excellent work on devaluism itself. But what I hope to show is a very different um, stage setting um, for that period um, than simply sort of an inevitable march toward, you know, dictatorship. Well, it seems like what you're also doing is is kind of rewriting the things that he actually claimed as his heritage, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. and I think that, that that's really important. Um, okay, so last question: <laughs> what um, what are the implications? And you mentioned this just a little bit for Haitians today. How 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 would you like them to read your book? Hmm. Oh, I well, I mean, it is it is absolutely an honor um, to be able to work on Haiti, and I so I hope they read my book with an understanding of that that is what I am coming to, you know, with it. But I, I sort of say this at the end of the book, and I'd mentioned this in the beginning that I. I don't mean it as a sort of an accusation against anyone, but, but a recognition that sort of everyone has a use of Haiti to an extent. Um, uh, certainly scholars who work on Haiti too. And I, I want to, I just want to be, I hope that they read it with an understanding that I am trying to do it in the most um, sort of uh, nuanced um way. I don't want to write a book that is a monolithic book. I don't want to write a book that is sort of um, extractive. You know, I, I've written in a way that I hope is um, illustrative of the plurality of Haiti's long, long 19th century. Um, and, and and I make this clear in the introduction as well. It's but one tiny sliver of that plurality. Um, you know, my methodology and the, the works that I focused on, and precisely because I'm working on writing um, Paper War, um, I'm not writing about the lived experience of the mass of the of the inhabitants of the country. Um, I hope that by um, offering sort of a much more um, engaged and and um, in depth uh, presentation of the cultural political um, realities and these regional differences and these tensions and uses um, sort of of the the long history um, of Haiti that various actors and and politicians um, uh, put into place that it will also allow um, for uh, people who are doing that work um, on um, uh, the, post, uh, the post-colonial um, counter-plantation system um, and, the, again, the lived experience of the, ma- the majority of, of Haitian, Haiti's inhabitants will also be um, rendered clearer or that they will have a, um, a I don't know, a, a, a framework to work within. Too, that that is not the David Nichols framework, or that is not the sort of framework that is the. Um, thank you so much. I think that's a great place to end. Okay, excellent. Thanks very much for um, this opportunity for reading. It is truly a pleasure and an honor to be read, and so I thank you very much. Likewise, just a total pleasure. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next time.